we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Urgency of Change, entitled Authority is Destructive. This week's episode features Krishnamurti in conversation with religious scholar Houston Smith. Episodes 11 and 12 are Krishnamurti in conversation with Mary Zimbalist, inquiring into conditioning and fear. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust in the UK. Please find us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe for regular updates and quotes. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider letting your friends know about it and leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Houston Smith is widely regarded as one of the world's most influential figures in religious studies. He was Professor of Philosophy at MIT and later Professor of Religious Studies at Berkeley where he met Krishnamurti in 1968. Smith's works include The World's Religions, which has sold more than 3 million copies, Tales of Wonder, and the PBS television series The Wisdom of Faith. Subjects covered in this podcast include Is it possible to live with total lucidity in this confused world? To be a light to yourself, you must deny every other light however great that light may be. As long as we accept violence, we perpetuate fear and accept authority. The moment you ask how, you move away from the central fact of learning. To learn about something, you must face it. At the moment of fear, there is neither the observer nor the observed. Thought can never be free, because it is the response of the past. I am Houston Smith, Professor of Philosophy at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and I invite you to a conversation arranged by the Blaisdell Institute of Claremont, California, with Krishnamurti, who was raised by Annie Besant and the Theosophist to be a world teacher, and who, though he discarded the mantle of Theosophy, did indeed become a sage of our century one whose voice is heard as much by the youth of today as throughout the world for the last 60 years. Krishnamurti, it may be that this morning I will have only one question, which uh, in one way or another I'll be coming back to in various ways. In your writings, in your speaking, time and again you come back to this uh, wonderful little word, uh, lucid and lucidity. But is it possible, living as we are in this confused and confusing world, uh, torn by conflicting voices without and conflicting passions within, uh, with hearts that 
seem star-crossed and tensions that never go? Is it possible in such a life, in such a world, to live with total lucidity? And if so, how? I wonder, sir, what you mean by that word, lucid. I wonder whether you mean clarity. That's what first comes to mind, yeah. yes. Is it, is this clarity <coughs> a matter of intellectual perception or is it a perception with your whole being? not merely a fragment of your being, but with the totality of one's own being. certainly has the ring of the latter, it's the latter. So it is not fragmentary, therefore it's not intellectual or emotional or sentimental. And so, is it possible in this confused world with so many contradictions and such misery and starvation, not only outwardly, but also inwardly, such insufficiency psychologically, outwardly, there are so many rich societies. Is it at all possible for a human being living in this world to find within himself a clarity that is constant, that is true in the sense, not contradictory. Is it possible for a human being to find it? That's my question. Your question. I don't see why not. I don't see why it shouldn't be found by anybody who is really quite serious. Most of us are not serious at all. We want to be entertained. We want to be told what to do. We want someone else to tell us how to live, what this clarity is, how to, what is truth, what is God, what is righteous behavior and so on. Now if one could discard completely all the authority, of psychological specialists as well as the specialists in religion. If one could really deeply negate all authority of that kind, then one would be relying totally on oneself. Well, now I feel like maybe right off I'm contradicting what you're suggesting because my impulse, after you've said that it seems to you that it is possible to, to achieve this lucidity, my impulse is to ask you immediately, how? Richard. But you, you say, I, am I looking to authority? No, no. That? What is necessary is the freedom from authority, not the how. The how implies a method, a system, a way trodden by others 
and someone to tell you, do this and you will find it. Now, are you saying with this that it's an inappropriate question to ask you how this lucidity is to be achieved? No, not at all, sir. But the how implies that. The how implies a method, and a system. And the moment you have a system and a method, you become mechanical. You just do what you're told. And that's not clarity. It's like a child uh, being told by its mother what it should do from morning till night. And therefore it becomes dependent on the mother or the father, whatever it be, and there is no clarity. So to have clarity, the first essential thing is freedom, freedom from authority. And I feel in a kind of bind, because this freedom is attractive too, and I want to go towards that. But I also want to pick your mind and ask you uh, how to proceed. Am I uh, moving away from my freedom if I ask you how to proceed? No, sir, but I'm, I'm pointing out the difficulty of that word, the implication of that word, the how. Not the one is wandering away from freedom or any other thing of that kind, but the word how implies intrinsically the, a mind that says, please tell me what to do. And uh, I ask again, is that a mistaken question? Is that a wrong question? I should think that's the wrong question, wrong the question. how. But rather, if you said, what are the things, the, the obstructions that prevent clarity, then we can go into it. But if you say right from the beginning, please, what is the method? There have been dozen methods, and they have all failed. <coughs> they have not produced clarity or enlightenment or a state of peace in man. On the contrary, these methods have divided man. You have your method and somebody else has his method, and these methods are everlastingly quarrelling with each other. Mm. Uh, are you saying that uh, once you abstract certain principles and formulate them into a method, this becomes too crude to meet right. the intricacies yeah. the of the intricacies and the complexities and the living quality of clarity? So that the how would, must always be immediate from where one stands, the particular individual. I, I would never put the how at all. The how should <coughs> never enter into the mind. Well, this is a hard teaching. Uh, it may be true, and I'm reaching for it, and yet I don't know that it's possible. I don't feel that it's possible completely to relinquish the question how <coughs> in every. Sir, so I think we'll, you will be, we'll be able to understand each other if we could go a little slowly not into the how, but what are the things that prevent clarity? All right, fine. Let's through negation, through negation, come to clarity, not through the positive method of following a system. Fine, all right. This is the via negativa. Via negativa, approach may. Approach through the yeah. back door, that's yeah. good. Let's that, I think that's on. the only way. 
All right. The positive way of the how has led man to, uh, to divide himself, his loyalties, his pursuits. You have the how of yours and the how of somebody else and the method of this and and they're all lost. Fine. So right. if we could put aside that question, the how for the time being, right. and probably you'll never put it afterwards, and I hope you won't. Well, <laughs> so, what is important is to find out what are the obstructions, the hindrances, the blocks that prevent clear perception of human anxiety, fear, sorrow, and the ache of loneliness, the utter lack of love and all that. Good. Let's explore the virtues of that's, negative. That's what, what, what are these? Now, first of all, I feel there must be freedom. Freedom from authority. Could we stop right there on this matter of authority? When you say we should renounce all authority, um, it seems to me that the goal of total freedom and self-reliance uh, is a valid one, and yet along the way it seems to me that we rely and should rely on all kinds of authorities in certain spheres. Uh, when I go to a new territory and I stop to ask the filling station attendant uh, which way to go, I accept his authority as knowing more about that than I do. And isn't this the obviously, way... Obviously, sir, obviously, the specialist knows little more than the layman. Right. The experts, either in surgery or in technological knowledge, they are obviously they know much more than any other person right. who is not concerned with that particular technique. But <coughs> we are considering not authority along any particular line, but the whole problem of authority. And in that area is the answer to understand the areas in which there is specialized authority, which we should accept. We should accept. And where authority perceive. is detrimental. Yes. Authority is destructive. Oh. So there are, there are two problems involved in this question of authority. There is not only the authority of the expert, let's call him for the moment, which is necessary, but also the authority of the man who, who says, psychologically, I know you don't. I see. So This is true, this is false. You must do this and you must not do that. So one should never turn over one's life to... To anybody. Anyone else. Because... The churches throughout the world, very different religions, have said, give your life to us. We will direct it, we'll shape it, we'll tell you what to do. Do this, follow the Saviour, follow the church, and you will have peace. But on the contrary, churches have produced terrible wars. Religions uh, of every kind have brought about fragmentation of the mind. So, the question is not 
freedom from a particular authority, but the whole conceptual acceptance of authority. Yes. All right. I think I, I see that, and that one should never abdicate one's own right know, of no, conscience. No, no, I'm not talking of conscience. Our conscience is such a pretty little affair. Well, maybe we're thinking about conscience, and I'm thinking about the conscience of how I should live my life. How no, I no, sir. No, life. we are started out to say, asking the question, why is it man who has lived for two million years and more, why is man not capable of clear perception and action? Yeah. That is the question involved. Right. And your first point is that it's because he doesn't accept the full responsibility. I don't say that. No, I, don't. I haven't come to that point yet. I am saying that there as we said, we must approach this problem negatively, which means that I must find out what are the blockages, the obstacles, yes. obstacles, which prevent clear perception. Right. Now, one of the major blocks or hindrances is this total acceptance of authority. So be ye lamps unto yourself. That's right. This is what so you, you must be a light to yourself. Very good. All and right. to be a light to yourself, you must deny every other light, which, however great that light be, whether it be the life of the light of the Buddha or X Y Z. Yeah. Perhaps uh, accept it here or there, but nevertheless you retain the say so as to where I, an no, insight no. might be valid. No, sir, I, no, no. Never accept the... My own authority. What authority have I? My authority is the authority of the society. I am conditioned to accept authority. When I reject the authority of the outer, I accept the authority of the inner. And my, my authority of the inner is the result of the conditioning in which I have been brought up. All right, I thought I had this in place, and I guess perhaps I still do. Uh, the only point uh, that I'm not quite sure about at this point is, it seems to me, while assuming, accepting, affirming, and maintaining one's own uh, freedom... Are you can't... Sir, how can a prisoner accept ideologically or theoretically accept he's free? He is in prison. And that is the fact from which we must move. Not right. accept a vague, fantastic, ideological freedom which doesn't exist. What exists is that man has bound to this total authority. All right. And this is the, the first thing that we Absolutely. must see and must uh, remove. Or Completely that must go for a man who is serious, who wants to find out the truth or see things very clearly. All right. Fine. Now, now an another? That is one of the major points. And the demand of freedom, not only from authority, but the demand from fear, right. which this makes him accept authority. Right. That seems, uh, seems true also. And so beneath the craving for authority is, is fear. fear, which we yeah. look to authority That's right. to free. And so the fear 
makes man violent. Not only territorial violence, but sexual violence and different forms of violence. Yeah. All right. So, authority, the freedom from authority implies the freedom from fear. And the freedom from fear implies the cessation of every form of violence. If we stop violence, then our fear ah. recedes? No, sir. It's not a question of recession of fear. Let's put it around the other way, sir. Man is violent. Linguistically, Psychologically, in daily life, is violent, which ultimately leads to war. There's a lot of it around. That's and that's and man has accepted war as the way of life, whether in the office, whether at home, or in the playing field, or anywhere. War is accepted as the way of life, which is the very essence of violence. Mm -hmm. hmm? Yes. Now and aggression are all that's involved. So, as long as man accepts violence, lives a way of life which is violent, he perpetuates fear, and therefore violence, and also accepts authority. So these three are a kind of vicious, vicious circle, circle, each playing into the other? Uh, and right. the churches say, be, live peaceful, be kind, and love, your neighbor, which is all sheer nonsense. They don't mean it. They merely have verbal assertion that has no meaning at all. It's just an idea, because the morality of society, which is the morality of the church, is immoral. As we try to see, then, these things that stand between us and lucidity and freedom, we find the authority and uh, fear and violence working uh, together to obstruct us. Where do we go from there? It's not going to some place, uh, but it's understanding this fact that most of us live a life in this ambiance, in this, uh, in this cage of authority, fear and violence. You can't go beyond it unless one is free from it, not intellectually or uh, theoretically, but actually be free from every form of authority. Not the authority of the expert, but the, the feeling of dependence on authority. All right. All right. I think I... that. Then, is it possible for a human being to be free completely of fear? Not only at the superficial level of one's consciousness, but also at the deeper level, what's called the unconscious. Is it possible? That's the... Otherwise, you're bound to accept authority of anybody. Any Tom, Dick and Harry, with a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of cunning explanation or intellectual formulas, you're bound to fall for him. But 
the question whether human being so heavily conditioned as he is through propaganda of the church, through propaganda of society, morality and all the rest of it, whether such a human being can really be free from fear. That is the basic question, sir. That's what I wait to hear. And can he? I say it is possible. Not in abstraction, but actually it is possible. All right, and my impulse again is to say how. And the refrain, refrain, I'd say, you see, when you say how, you stop to learn. All right. You cease to learn. All right, uh, let's just forget that, that I said that, I, because I don't I, want to get no, distracted. No, you can never even ask that, ever, because we are learning. Learning about the nature and the structure of human fear. At the, at the deepest level and also at the most superficial level. And we're learning about it. And when you're learning, you can't, you can't tell, you can't ask suddenly, how am I to learn? There is no how, if you're interested, if, they, if the problem is vitally intense, uh, it has to be solved to live peacefully. There is no how. You say, let's learn about it. All right. So the moment you bring in the how, you, you move away from the central fact of learning. All right, that's fine. Let's that, continue that, on the shaft of that, learning, about, learning. Uh, about this. So, what does it mean to learn? Are you asking me? Yes, obviously. What does it mean to learn? Uh, it means to perceive how one should proceed in a given domain. No, sir. Surely. Here is a problem of fear. I want to learn about it. I, first of all, I mustn't condemn it. I mustn't say uh, it's terrible and run away from it. It sounds to me like you've been condemning it in I don't, one way or another. I don't. I want to learn. When I want to learn about something, I look. There's no condemnation at all. Well, uh, we were going at this through a negative route. Which is, see which is what I'm doing. And fear is an obstacle. Which I'm about which I'm going to learn. All right. I therefore I can't condemn it. Well, it's not good. You're not advocating it. I know. I'm neither advocating or not. A, here is a fact of fear. I want to learn about it. Moment I learn about something, I'm free of it. So learning matters. Yeah. What is the <coughs> what is implied in learning? What is implied in learning? First of all, to learn about something, there must be complete cessation of condemnation or justification. All right. Uh, yes, I can see that. If we're going to understand something, if we keep our emotions out of it and just try to dispassionately... Uh, to learn. It's, <laughs> you're putting, you're introducing words like dispassion. Huh? That's unnecessary. If I want to learn about that camera, I begin to look at it, undo it, go into it. There is not a question of dispassion or passion. I want to learn. So I want to learn about this question of fear. Uh -huh. 
So uh, to learn, I must, there must be no condemnation, no justification of fear, and therefore no escape verbally from the fact of fear. Hmm? But the tendency is to deny it. To deny the reality of the fear. reality of fear. The reality that fear is causing all these things. To deny by saying, I must develop courage. So, please, we are going into this problem of fear, because it's really a very important question, whether human mind can ever be free of fear. It certainly is which means whether the mind is capable of looking at fear, looking, mm -hmm. not in abstraction, but actually at fear as it occurs. Facing fear. Facing fear. Right. All right. No. We should do this, and I agree with you. No, that we can't to look, deny to face it, no condemnation. All right. No justification. Simply being aware, objective. Aware of fear. Acknowledging. And I don't acknowledge it. There is the camera there. I don't acknowledge it. It is there. All right. I, I don't want to distract uh, our line that's of why, thought with please, these uh, words. That's why I'm, I'm one has to be awfully careful of words, because the word is not the thing, therefore I don't want to move away from this. So. To learn about fear, there must be no condemnation or justification. All right. That's fact. Then my mind can, the mind can look at fear. What is fear? There are every kind of fear. Hmm? Fear of darkness, fear of the wife, fear of the husband, fear of war, fear of storm, fear of uh, so many psychological fears. And you, you cannot possibly have the time to analyze all the fears. That would take the whole lifetime, by then you have not even understood any fear. Right. So it's the phenomenon of fear itself, rather that than any specific... Any particular fear. Right. Hmm? Now, what should we learn... Wait, I'm going to show you something. Go slow. Now, to learn about something, you must be in com complete contact with it. I want to look, look, sir. I want to learn about fear. Hmm? Mm. Therefore, I must look at it. I must face it. Yes. Now, to face something implies a mind that is that does not want to solve the problem of fear. To look at fear is not to solve the problem of fear. Now I'm I really have look, look. This is very important to understand because then, if I want to solve fear, I'm more concerned with the solution of fear than facing fear. A moment ago, though, we were saying we should face. I am facing it, but if I say I must solve it, I am beyond it already. I am not looking. 
You say that if we're trying to solve the problem of fear, then we're not truly facing it. Is that right? Quite right, sir. You see, to face fear, mind must be completely... must give its complete attention to fear. And then if you give partial attention, which is say, well, I want to solve it and go beyond it, you're not giving complete attention. I, I can see that if you have a split attention yeah, course, while you're not That's fully attentive. So, to, in giving complete attention to the learning about fear, there are several problems involved in it. I must be brief because our time is limited. <laughs> we generally consider fear as something outside us. <laughs> So there is this question of the observer and the observed. The observer says, I am afraid, and he puts fear something away from me. I'm not sure that that's true. When I feel afraid, I am afraid. I feel feet, it's very much in, in here. In here. But, when you, but when you observe it, it is different. When I observe fear, fear then, then I tend to put it out. Put it outside. Well, again, that doesn't seem quite right because it's certainly. So at, the, well, right. at the moment of fear, mm-hmm. hmm, there is neither the observer nor That's the true. observed. That is very true. That's what I'm yes. saying. At the crisis, at the moment of actual fear, the there is neither the observer. There is no observer. It fills the it, horizon. It, there, nah. The moment you begin to look at it, face it, there is this division. Mm. Uh, between the fearful self and the, Non-fearful and the self. bear who's going yeah. to eat yeah. me out yeah. there. So there it yeah. is. Right. So in trying to learn about fear, there is the, this division between the observer and the observed. Now, is it possible to look at fear without the observer? Don't, please sir, this is really quite uh, intricate question and complex question that's going to go, one has to go into very deep play. As long as there is the observer who is going to learn about the fear, there is a division. That's true. We're not in full contact Contact. with it. That's true. Therefore, in that division is the conflict of trying to get rid of fear, justify fear. So, is it possible to look at fear without the observer? So that you are completely in contact with it all the time. Well, then As you're experiencing fear. I wouldn't like to use that word experience because experience implies going through something, finishing with it. All right. I don't know what word you... It seems better than looking at, because looking at does seem Therefore, to imply a distinction I'm, between observer are, and observer. We are using that word, observing. Mm-hmm. Being aware of fear without choice, which means the choice implies the observer, choosing whether I don't like this, I like it. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the observer... Is ap- when the observer is absent, there is choiceless awareness of fear. All right. Hmm? All right. right. Then what takes place? That's the whole sure. question. All right. The observer is the 
is the, creates the linguistic difference between himself and the thing observed. Language comes in there. Therefore, the, the word prevents being completely in contact with fear. Yes, yeah. words can be a screen. Yes, that's all, that, that's all what we are saying. Right. So the, the word mustn't interfere. True. All right. We have to get beyond that. Beyond the word. Right. But is that possible to be beyond the word? Theoretically we say yes, but the, we are slave to words. Uh, far too much so, yeah. yes. I mean, they are obvious. We are slave to words. All right. So the mind has to become aware of its own slavery to word. Realizing that the word is never the thing. Right. So, the mind is free of the word to look. All right. That's all implied. So, look, I want to understand, I mean, the relationship between two people, husband and wife, is the relationship between of images. Um, obvious, obvious. I mean, right. there's no dispute about it. You have your image and yes. she has her image about you. The relationship is between these two images. Now, the real relationship, human relationship is when the images don't exist. In the same way, the relationship between the observer and the observed hmm, ceases when the world is not. Yes, that brings... So, he is directly in contact with fear. Hmm? We pass through True. the screen. There, there it is. There is fear. Yes. Now, there is fear at the conscious level, which is fairly under, one can understand fairly quickly. Hmm? But there are the deeper layers of fear, right. hmm? uh, so-called at the hidden um, parts of the mind, yes. hmm? to be aware of that. Right. Now, that means, is it possible to be aware Without analysis. Analysis takes time. Right. Surely it's possible. How? Not the how of method. You said surely it's possible. Is it? There is this whole reservoir of fear. Hmm? Of the fear of the race, fear of the whole content of the unconscious. The content is the unconscious. All right. Hmm? Now, to be aware of all that, which means not through dreams, again that takes too long. Now you're talking about whether we can be uh, explicitly aware of the full reach of mind. Yes, full content reach of the mind which is both the conscious as well as the deeper layers. The totality of consciousness. Yes. And can we be explicitly aware yes. of all of that? Of all of that. I'm not sure. I say it is possible. It is only possible when you are aware during the day what you say, what you, the words you use, the gestures, the, the way you talk, the way you walk, the, what your thoughts are. To be completely and totally aware of all that. Do you think all of that can be yes, before you in total awareness? Absolutely. When there is no condemnation and justification, when you are directly in contact with it, 
It seems to me that the mind is sort of like an iceberg with regions of it. Uh, an iceberg is nine-tenths below and one-tenth above. Uh, it is possible to see the whole of it. The during the day, aware. during the day, if you are aware of your thoughts, of your feelings, if you are aware of the motives, all which demands a mind that is highly sensitive. Well, we can certainly be aware of much, much more than we usually are. But when you say we can be aware totally. of all the yes, sir. psychological I am sure, factors... I'm, I'm showing you. I'm showing you. You're denying it. <laughs> you say it's not possible. Then it's not possible. No, I'd like to believe this. I know. It's not a question of belief. I, no. I don't have to believe in what I see. It's only when I don't see I believe in God, this or that. Yeah, when you are, for me, you it's see. a matter of belief. Maybe not for I you. No, you belief have. is the most destructive part of life. Why should I believe the sun rises? I see it sunrise. I believe, so when I do not know how, what love is, then I believe in love. Like so many times in, when I listen to you speak, it seems to me like uh, a, a half-truth which is stated as a full truth, and I wonder whether that's for the sake of emphasis no, or whether it really is. It you really, really need to, me, to it carry really, it all the way. To me, it really is. We've been speaking of the elements that block us, the things that block us from a life of lucidity and freedom, uh, authority, violence, fear. Uh, our time is short, and I wouldn't like to spend all the time on these obstacles. Is there anything affirmative we can say about this condition? So anything affirmative indicates authority. It's only the authoritarian mind that says, let's be affirmed, now, um, which is in opposition to negation. But the negation we are talking about has no opposite. Well, now, uh, when I ask you for an affirmative statement, it doesn't seem to me that I'm turning over a decision to use an authority. No. I just want to hear if you have something interesting to say, which I will then stand judgment upon. With regard to what, whether sir? It's, whether with it's with regard to what? As to whether it speaks to my condition. What? With regard to what? You said something about what? About what? Yes, about uh, the state of life that it seems to me we're groping for in our words to describe. Now, are you trying to say, sir, that life is only in the present? In one sense, I think that's true. Right. Is that what are you're you trying saying? to... I'm, no, I'm asking you. Is this what you're asking? Is life to be divided into the past, present and future, which becomes fragmentary, mm -hmm and not a total perception of living. Well, again, as so often, it seems to me that the answer is both and. In one sense, it is a unity and it is present and the present is all we have. But man is a time-binding animal, as they say. Is he time-binding? Yes, sir. So, he, man is the result of time. Yes. Not only evolutionary. But chronological as well as psychological. Yes. Yes. So, so this. He is 
the result of time, the past, present and future. Hmm? Now, he lives mostly in the past. All right, mostly. Uh, he's the past. All right. Again, it's uh, that's no, 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 true. no. That's I'll show it to you. I'll show it to you. He's the past because he lives in memory. Not totally. No, it's a follow it step by step. To, he lives in the past, and therefore he thinks and examines and looks from the background of the past. Yes. Which is both good and... Ah, no, no, I'm not, we're not saying good and bad. Right. There's no good okay. bad and ba bad past. We are he concerned does. with the past. Yes. Don't give it a name. All right. <laughs> Call it good or bad, then we're lost. All right. He lives in the past, examines everything from the past, and projects the future from the past. Yes. So, he lives in the past. He is the past. And when he thinks of the future or the present, he thinks in terms of the past. All right. Uh, you see, it seems to me that most of the time that is true, but there are new perceptions, there are breakthroughs, there are new experiences that break through the momentum of the past. New experiences break through only when, they, when there is an absence of the past. Well, it seems to me like it's a merging of things that we perforce bring with us from the past, but bring to play upon the novel of the novelty, sir, the newness of the present, and it's look a fusion of those two. Look, sir, if I want to understand something new, mm -hmm. I must look at it with clear eyes. Yes. I can't bring the past with all the recognition process, with all the memories, and then translate what I see as new. Surely, surely, suggest me. The man who invented the jet mm? must have forgotten or be completely familiar with the propeller. Mm -hmm. right. Right. And then there was an absence of knowledge in which he discovered the new. That's fine. Wait, wait, no, 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 not question, that's fine. It is, that's the only way to operate in life. Yes. That is, I must be completely aware of, there must be complete awareness of the past. Yes. An absence of the past to see the new. All right. Or to come upon the new. All right. <laughs> not, you're conceding reluctantly, that's not... I'm, I'm conceding reluctantly because uh, I think I see what you're saying and I think I agree with the point that you're making, but it's also true that uh, one operates in terms of, of the past. symbols so that of one the past. has, and you can't, it's not as though we begin uh, de novo, no, de novo like is not possible. but we have to begin de novo because the life demands it, because we have lived in this way, to accepting war, hatred, brutality, competition, and anxiety, guilt, all that is a, we have accepted that, we live that way. And we, I am saying, to bring about a different quality, a different way of living, the past must disappear. We must be open to the new. Yeah. Therefore, Absolutely. the past must have no meaning. 
Ah, uh, that I can't go along uh, with. That's, uh, <laughs> that, that is what the whole world is objecting. The established order says, I can't let go for the new to be. And the young people, all throughout the world, say, let's revolt against the old. But they don't understand the whole complications of it. Because they say, but what have you given us? Except examinations, job, and the repetition of the old pattern. War, and favorite wars, mm, wars. Well, you're pointing out, it seems to me, the importance of not being slaves to the past. That, and that's so true, and I don't want to, uh, to in any way... Past being the tradition, past being the pattern of morality, which is the social morality, which is not moral, but at the same time, there's only one generation, namely ourselves, that separates the future generation from the caveman. And yes. what I agree has the, I, that's brought that's, were to be totally rescinded, that's and we would start right there. Uh, no, no, no. To, to, to break through the past uh, demands a great deal of intelligence, mm. a great deal of sensitivity right. to the past. Yeah. You can't but, just break away from it. Okay, I'm content. That's right. right. So, the problem really, sir, is can we live a different way? Here, here. Hmm? Right. A different way in which there are no wars, no hatreds, in which man loves man without competition, without division. We say you are a Christian, you are a Catholic, you are a Protestant, you are this. That's also immature. There's no meaning. Well, it's an intellectual, sophisticated division. And that's not a religious mind at all. That's not religion. A, a religious mind is a mind that has no hatred, that lives completely without fear, without anxiety, in which there is not a particle of antagonism. Therefore, that a mind that loves, that's the, the different dimension of living altogether. And nobody wants that. And in another sense, everybody wants that. But they won't, they won't go after it. They won't go after it? No, of course not. They are distracted by so many other things. They are so heavily conditioned by their past, they hold on to it. Well, I think there's some who uh, will go they after it. Very few. The numbers doesn't The minority, How many? Sir, the minority is always the most important thing. Krishnamurti, as I listen to you and try to listen through the words to what you're saying, it seems to me that what I hear is uh, first that uh, I should work out and each of us should work out his own salvation, not leaning on authorities outside. Uh, second, not to be not to allow uh, words to form a film between us and actual experience, not to mistake the menu for the meal. And third, not to let the past uh, swallow up the present, take possession through uh, responding to it through conditionings from the past, but rather to be always open uh, to the new, the novel, the fresh. And uh, finally, uh, it seems to me you're, you're saying something like the 
key to doing this is a radical reversal in our point of view. It's as though we were prisoners uh, straining at the bars for the light that, and looking for the glimpse of light we see out there and wondering how we could get out towards it while actually the door of the cell is open behind us. If only we would turn around, we could walk out into freedom. This is what it sounds to me like you're saying. Is this a little bit, sir? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what else? What uh, what other than that? Or if you want to amplify. Sir, surely, sir. This the in this is involved the everlasting struggle, conflict. Man caught in his own conditioning. Yes and straining, struggling, beating his head to be free. So, and again, we have accepted, with the help of religions and all the rest of the group, that effort is necessary. That's part of life. That's, to me, that is the highest form of blindness, of limiting man to say you must everlastingly live hmm. in effort. And you think we don't have to? Not I think. It, it is... So it's not a question of thought. Thought is the most... Right. Uh, Let's delete those two words and just say we don't have to. But to live without effort requires the greatest sensitivity and the highest form of intelligence. You don't just say, well, I won't struggle and become like a cow. Right. Right. But one has to understand the hoax conflict arises, the duality in us. Yes. The, the fact of what is and what should be, there is the conflict. Hmm. If there is no what should be, which is ideological, which is um, non-real, which is fictional, and see what is, and face it, live with it, without the what is, what should be, then there is no conflict at all. It's only when you compare, evaluate with what should be, and then look with what should be, with the what is, then conflict arises. There should be no tension between the ideal and the actual. No ideal at all. Why should we have an ideal? The ideal is the most idiotic form of uh, conceptual thinking. Why should I have an ideal? When the fact is burning there, why should I have an ideal about anything? Well, now, once more, when you speak like that, it seems to me you break it into an either-or. No, no, Not no. the ideal, but the actual, whereas it seems to me the truth is somehow... Ah, no, truth is not a mixture of the ideal and the what is. Then you produce some melange of some dirt. There is only what is. Why? Sir, look, take a very simple example. We human beings are violent. Why should I have an ideal of non-violence? Why can't I deal with the fact? Of violence? Of violence, without non-violence. The, the uh, ideal is an abstraction, is a, is a distraction. The fact is I'm violent, man is violent. 
Let's tackle that. Let's come to grips with that. And see if we can't live without that. And there is no, please sir, there is no dualistic process in this. There is only the fact that I am violent. Man is violent. And is it possible to be free of that? Why should I introduce the idealistic nonsense into it? Your, no dualism, you say, no separation. And in your view, is this the case that there is no separation? Absolutely, there is. Here, do you feel any separation? Is there any separation? You, me? I said, wait. Physically, there is. Yes. You have got a black suit. You're a fairer person than me. But and you don't so, feel. I, if I felt a dualistic, I wouldn't even sit down to discuss it, because I, then we be intellectually we play with each other. Right. Now, perhaps we're saying the same thing, but it always it comes out in my mind as a both and. We are both separate and we are united. So, both. when you love both. somebody with your heart, not with your mind, do you feel separate? I do in some... It's both. I feel I, both separate and together. Then it's not love. I wonder, because love... Uh, part so of the joy of love is the relationship which involves, in some sense, like Ramakrishna said, I don't ah, want to be sugar. I, I want don't to know. Eat sugar. I don't know Ramakrishna. I don't want to know any authority. I don't want to quote any bird. Don't get hung up on. No, I am. I am sir, no, I am. Simply, I am dealing. Uh, I am. We are dealing with facts, not what somebody said. The fact right. is that in love there is the part of the beauty and glory of it is the sense of unity, embracing what in certain respects is separate. So let's just a minute, sir. Let's be, little, let's be a little more unromantic about it. <laughs> the fact is, when there is love between man and woman, in that is involved possession, domination, authority, jealousy, all that is involved in it. There's some of that. Of course there is. And comfort, sexual pleasure, and the remembrance of all. So it's all that. A bundle of all that. Hmm? And there's some positive things yes, yes, left out. But bundle of all that. Though. And do I... Is love jealousy? Is love pleasure? Is love desire? If it is pleasure, it's merely the activity of thought. Say, well, I slept with that woman, therefore she is mine. And the remembrance of all that. That's not love. Thought is not love. Thought breeds fear. Thought breeds pain. Thought breeds pleasure. And pleasure is not love. Thought breeds only negative... Uh, what is the positive? Which is, uh, what is the positive thing that thought produces, except mechanical things? A love poem? Sir, uh, so, love poem, what? The man feels something and puts it down. Yes. The putting down is irrelevant, merely a form of communication. Hmm? But to feel it is nothing to do with thought. To translate it then is necessary for thought. Seems but to, to love my... The thought and words can also give form to our feelings which would remain inchoate without so, them. Have, now, is there 
bring them to resolution, to satisfying is, resolution is relation, to their expression. Is relationship a matter of thought? Not only, but thought can contribute to a relationship. Thought is always the old. Relationship is something new. Yes, but there are new thoughts. Ah, there is no such thing as new thought. Uh, 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 Forgive uh, me to be so emphatic. No, I, I like that. I don't think there is a new thought. There is no thought in f free. Thought can never be free because thought is the response of memory. Thought a, is the response of the When a great poem come, a poet comes through with a with the right words to articulate a new perception, that nobody is, has before, not even God, has thought of those particular but that words. That is me a matter of a cunning gift of putting words together. But what we are talking a about... noble trait. And that's a minor, minor Poetry thing. Poetry is a great No, sir, that's a minor thing. The major thing is to see the beauty of life. True. And to see the immensity of it, the glory, and to love, and to love. There it ended, a conversation with Krishnamurti. But what ended was only the words, not the substance, for Krishnamurti was speaking, as always, of that life that has no end and no beginning.